Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. That's the most cute way I've ever heard potions be talked of. You take a little swig and then, then poof! <laughs> Welcome back to our newest episode of Dungeon Deep Dive. We hope you've had a lovely week and you're ready to get diving with us this week. Dungeon Deep Dive is your latest and greatest podcast where we do the research so you don't have to. We'll be diving deep today into part two of our magic uh, episodes, this time talking more about potions, poisons and the likes. Uh, if you need to reach out to us, well not need to, want to I suppose, on any of our socials. To, and only if you need yeah, to. Only if you need to. We don't want to hear from you otherwise, Susan. If it's an emergency, contact me on Twitter. Yep. Correct. At... Piss them. No. (laughs) Dungeon deep dive. And I mean any emergency. If you are ever in an emergency situation, DM at piss them on Twitter. Lachlan, you're not part of this podcast anymore. That's probably fair. Vito. Uh, With me, I'm Danae Bags, and with me today to my right. I'm Tully Grimley. And to my left. Lachlan Hoy, also at at piss them on Twitter. And to your left. This cat that I'm patting. Yes, and her, her name, name is, is Nix, and she is so cute. She's lovely. She sits down next to me during recording sometimes. There's like an empty chair next to me. Okay, she well, sometimes she sits next to me, so, you know, back off, bitch. Okay, I wasn't... I, I'm the pussy whisperer of the group. Excellent. So, uh, as a little bit of a... Uh, does anyone have a particular question they'd like for the icebreaker today? I have a fun fact for the icebreaker. Okay. If, if you'd like me to fire away. Let's do it. Has anyone, oh, I guess it's a question. Has anyone heard of the phrase, cat got your tongue? I have heard the phrase. Do you know where it originates from? See, I always uh, associated it with, you know, uh, there's uh, 20 ways to swing a cat, which is about the cat of nine tails. So I have no clue how it would associate with cat got your tongue. Lachlan, what's your hot take? Oh, I have absolutely no idea. Typical. So, I so learned, give us the truth. I learned this in my travels um, when I was road tripping around the UK and I visited Annick Castle, which was where the Harry Potter films were set. Hey, wait, that was rude. What? It just hit me. Your me typical acknowledging thing. your yeah. existence at just all? Kind of, just kind of, just the typical thing just kind of hit me. Okay. Anyway. Wow. Please continue. So I was at Annick Poison Gardens in the north of England. Oh, this is uh, the place that says everything in here can kill you? Yeah. It's a really fun place. They have over 100 species of poisonous plants and it's a great day out. Hashtag not spawn. I back it. (laughs) It it genuinely is very cool. 
I will post a photo on our Instagram so you guys can all see. So basically, I learned this as we were walking amongst the plants and there was one particular plant called cat, that's uh, K-H-A-T. And the nice man explained to us that cat originates from uh, a country in Africa called Djibouti and it's a legal plant there, though very addictive, and it's chewed by most men, uh, typically as they're working or sometimes as they're just hanging out. And it was brought into Western countries illegally um, to help long shift workers from cultures where cat chewing standard because it heightens your euphoria, your productivity, and like sort of fortifies you to stay on your feet, keep working for really long hours. Mm. The thing is, um, because cat is so addictive people start chewing it all the time and you have to chuck a big hunk of it in your cheek which makes it really hard to speak so if people would come along these men who couldn't talk because they had too much cat they would say cat got your tongue and that's where it actually comes from that's fun yeah all right let me kick us off into the study of potion making which is what i'm going to focus on with our tufa for this alchemy talk we've got going on perfect take it away so the potion the term potion comes from the latin potio which means to drink and in mythology and literature a potion is typically a liquid or a herbal remedy with magical properties and it's usually made by a witch magician dragon or fairy Uh uh-huh yes i know a few fairies in uh, my life right now that sometimes drink a couple potions before they go out Potions have, I guess, long been thought to heal, poison, or bewitch people. Uh, bewitch them to do anything and everything from induce sleep to falling in love. Potion creation was this kind of common practice of alchemy, uh, but was always strongly also associated with witchcraft and the occult. So, potions have been made in use since the very beginning of time. We're talking Stone Ages. They may not have actually made people fall in love, sadly for me, but certain... (laughs) I know, that would make everything easier. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Who needs to work at love anymore? Just fling your filter everywhere. Um, Certain combinations of plants and minerals could induce sleep, cause paralysis, poison the body, cloud the mind, or heal various wounds and maladies. Or put a stopper in death. Death. Turn to page... 394. Is it? Okay. I I hope that's right. (laughs) I'm just going to turn to page 300. Oh, are you doing a Snape thing? Yeah. Ah, I see. Yes. I can can teach you to... No, I need to say this properly. I can teach you how to bottle fame, brew glory, even put a stopper in death if you want as... Big a bunch of dunderheads as I usually have to teach. <laughs> Thank you, J.K. Rowling, for putting dunderhead in your book. Clearly the most relevant insult of our day and age. Shaman, medicine men and women, and holy men and women often knew these secret potions and would administer them. And later on, some tribes and cultures began spreading their medical slash religious knowledge across two different roles. Uh, potions often contain obscure ingredients, like things you wouldn't consume alone. So in ancient Roman Greece, ingredients would include things like bat's blood, crushed beetles, feathers, claws, snake skins, and lots of different herbs. Ooh. 
Animal parts were thought to allow you to gain their qualities, so to speak. So like tortoise shell would increase your lifespan or rabbit's feet would increase your speed. Mm. Uh, Toads were often used in a lot of ancient potions as well, uh, but that actually has a basis in science because toads secrete this nasty chemical when they're frightened and those chemicals would seep into a potion and cause hallucinations or, or poison. There you go. Mm. Yeah, it's um, it's actually under a Queensland law criminalised to possess the toxin that comes out of cane toads. Not because any children were actually licking toads, but because there was this big moral panic about children trying to circumvent drug laws by licking cane toads I and love being moral poisoned. Panic laws. Yeah, so we have a so we've actually criminalised um, toad poison. So, um, talking about different parts of animals and then herbs, I actually found out recently that eye of of newt, when talking about potion ingredients, is not about the literal eye of a newt. It refers to a mustard seed. Oh. Yeah, mustard seeds used to be called eye of newt. Oh, yeah. Isn't that a thing for, like, a lot of those? Yeah, a lot of old, Um, like, kind of Shakespearean potion ingredients. Yeah, they're just like things that I think that looked like that stuff. Things like cat's tail is thought to be various different brushes of herbs or potentially cat, which is the the chewing plant. Um, Yeah, it's all sorts of things are actually just herbal. Um, It's one of the great misdeeds done to witches, I think, is somehow like witches and wizards being like the male and female of the magic users where realistically wizards were trying to practice the arcane and there were researchers and witches were more about herbal men- me- herbal remedies. Yeah, yeah, because in an era where you don't have names for all of these herbs and stuff, of course you'd just describe it based on a thing that it looked like and had like a spooky name. Like that just makes... Of course. I'm going to give everything a spooky name if it doesn't have a name. Yeah. I'll name my kid Spooky. Uh, what do you reckon the most sought after potions were actually I would love to say it was something like um, immortality or you know cures for all diseases but I'm sure it's something like fucking virility it's going to be a sex thing it's a love potion called filters in old times with a ph filters huh like Dr. Filters oh that's where his name comes from yep So in the early days, as with many things, people feared what they did not understand, but they also did appreciate having access to even the most basic and haphazard medicine or occult help. So they usually tolerated having some kind of witch on the outskirts, some medicine man or woman who could administer them some level of medical care through potions. During the Middle Ages, potion brewing or the practice of magic wasn't seen as the essentially female thing that we see it as today. The majority of those tried for maleficium, which is sorcery or dark magic, were men. After all, potion brewing and magic generally required education, which was less readily available to women at the time. But there's evidence to suggest that the church didn't actually really believe in magic during a lot of the Middle Ages. They just condemned the idea of it. Uh, Plus, what would have seemed to us like potion brewing or magic was classed as science or medicine back then. Religious elements did start to seep into potion making, uh, but remembering doctors were scarce, so for Europe's lower class, local healers were often the only option. Mm. Now, the idea of the witch didn't actually really appear until the 15th century. 
So this is just coming into the Renaissance, the age of discovery, which is interesting, really, because that was when we really introduced those ruthless witch hunts and a new belief in, in the reality of magic that we see today. In the 19th century, uh, potions were often seen as illegitimate because wandering charlatans would offer these curative potions all the time. So they started to be dismissed as quackery, which is why doctors are sometimes now known as quacks. Modern day potions are really just pure medicine or else commercial products like skincare. You can see this even in the titles of some company names like Perfect Potion, Mm. Potion Masters. In modern fantasy, potions are often still seen as spells in liquid form too that can heal, poison, or bewitch. A really great example is Severus Snape in Harry Potter. Yes, Danae, that is a good example of potions in fiction, isn't it? (laughs) Yep. The last point I wanted to make is that a few ingredients lining a witch's hut are probably in your medicine cabinet right now. So willow bark is now aspirin for inflammation and garlic is still used as a sort of extract to clot blood to this day. Mm. There you go. Yeah, it's interesting to look at the sort of the links between potion making and medicine as it comes up. Um, Now I'm going to be looking pretty much more in a fantasy setting um, about the different kinds of potions and what exactly alchemy when we're talking about potions and creations actually is Uh, and it really is any mixture of um, chemicals to have an effect of some sort whether it be magical uh, medicinal poisonous um, or even some sort of reaction so in fantasy settings we do tend to have uh, fairly established rules on creation of potions and creation of poisons they tend to happen quite a lot what you need is a desired effect a way you do it and potentially a strength That'll come with uh, a variety of ingredients that you combine in some way. Um, I wanted to also talk about potions being a little bit more. Um, I've had a look at a couple different systems and there are some great things to look at here. Um, But first in history, I want to talk about the history of chemical weapons because it's very interesting looking at chemical reactions being used as siege weapons. Uh, So there's... As early as 400 BC, uh, there there was an Indian statecraft manual that contained uh, ingredients for toxic smoke. Um, There were incendiaries used against Alexander the Great. And uh, Henry III actually used quicklime mortars uh, to to blind his opponents at sea, which was basically shooting what was called quicklime, which is calcium oxide, into the water by the ships. And that would create uh, a plume of smoke and also a heavy exothermic reaction. I love that. Yeah. And so when the quicklime hit the water, it would heat up to 150 Celsius. Um, it's actually thought to be an uh, ingredient in alchemist's fire. Basically, as soon as it hits the water, it heats up, and that will ignite any fuel that you've thrown with it. Cool. Yeah. So if you're looking at your settings like your alchemist's fire, I think it's appeared in Game of Thrones recently. Uh, it's also a very real tool that got used in ancient Greece. Yeah. Uh, yes, Game of Thrones, before the actual whole show went up in flames. Setting oceans ablaze. It's a beautiful thought. I mean, as much as devastating weapons of war can be beautiful, I mm. suppose. Exactly. But it is really interesting to think how simply that is with just a couple chemical reactions. Yeah. Um, if you look at um, sort of modern movies, there's actually a really cool example of how you could use alchemy and chemical reactions to do cool stuff. Um, in 
the Pixar movie Big Hero 6, uh, there's a character called Honey Lemon and she is essentially a chemist. She'll just uh, pick a couple of elements and create these reactions in a ball that she'll throw out and it'll have an effect. That's anywhere from uh, a quick ice, which is a, an endothermic reaction. It'll just freeze the surface it's on. Um, instant foams, both solid and soft, adhesives, uh, elastics, explosives, and even at one point just corrodes a bunch of metal, which I think is a really interesting tool for creating uh, powerful acids if oh, it yeah. works only on wood or only on metal. Um, it's a cool limitation that you can put on your players. Yeah, well, I mean, that's and that's something to consider with acid, I guess, kind of in general. Um, and I, I think it would probably be especially relevant if you're dealing with like a dragon born with acid breath or something, is that most acids don't work on everything. Yeah. I mean, acids that we've worked with as human beings have to be able to be contained within something. So there's always going to be at least, I think, think there's or there might be exceptions that I don't know of but there's always going to be something that you can put mm. in front of acid that's going to stop it well glass is a great example um, yeah. hydrochloric acid hydrofluoric acid they both get uh, they're both easily contained by glass yeah glass glass contains some of the most dangerous acids that we know of as people mm. and then you look at in pop culture um, breaking bad's a great example where they're talking about, I believe it is a hydrofluoric acid, uh, when you put it in plastics, in polymers, it doesn't melt it. But if you put it in a bathtub, it eats away very quickly. Oh, yeah, that's a good episode. It's, it's a great thought about how acids work. Um, but I really enjoy, and I know we talk a lot about D&D here, I'm going to depart a little bit and talk about Pathfinder, which just had its release of the second edition. You absolute villain. I know, I'm... I'm the heel of this podcast. <laughs> um, their alchemist's tools can create some really cool stuff outside of just your potions and poisons. A um, couple of really cool examples that I like is bottled lightning. Um, as soon as it's unstoppered and spilt, it will create a, uh, a, an electric charge. So it could be basically a battery in a bottle. Um, things like liquid ice, like I was talking about before, or the Tanglefoot bag. Um, now, if you've ever seen... The, I, if you've ever seen the videos of somebody setting a piece of um, sugar on fire or I think it's adding hydrofluoric acid to sugar and this plume of uh, matter comes out of it, um, something like that could be used as, a, as an obstruction, the Tanglefoot bag. When you throw it, it um, catches people within 10 feet of it, forcing them to make a dexterity check. It's very cool. Oh, that's cool. It's interesting to see how people can use, like, what we see today is kind of like novelty um, mm. chemical reactions in like a game setting could be incredibly practical. Yeah. Well, um, another two that are kind of novelties here, these come from the first edition. Uh, Bloodvine rope is something you can create with your alchemist tools. Basically what it is, it's just pouring a stream of one chemical into a pool of another and it creates this incredibly strong polymer. It creates rope. That's just creating plastic. That's sick. But it's something that you can, in a fantasy setting, call something like bloodvine rope. It's this novel chemical reaction. Something to us would just seem like a normal material. Yeah, it's a science experiment you do in year four. Yeah. Um, and one of my f personal favourites is something really simple, reagent paper. You can make reagent paper, which, when you dunk it into a chemical, will show up different colours to tell you the magical properties, uh, whether it's corrosive or not, whether it's got healing properties. It's essentially a litmus test, but for a couple things more. 
Yeah, just like a highly advanced pH strip. Exactly. And um, all you really need to do when uh, talking about alchemy or chemistry in your games is establish what your key ingredients are. So maybe have a couple on hand, things like lime for exothermic reactions, uh, gum arabic if you need an adhesive, um, certain medicinal properties um, like herbs and stuff that will be part of healing potions, um, poisonous herbs that will be part of your poisons. Um, Then figure out how you get them, what they cost, and what you do when you combine them. So I know players would be pretty tempted to grab the three most powerful ingredients, chuck them all together and see what happens. But maybe the more the more powerful the... So maybe if you combine two powerful ingredients, they're going to diminish each other's effects unless you add you know, different things as stabilizers or as catalysts. Hell, I mean, you could have potions that require being brewed with several other potions. Exactly. Um so you can actually use alchemy as an incredible, incredibly powerful tool. And as we spoke about in the last episode, it can be really difficult to create these high-level things. But if your players really want them, there's nothing stopping you from making it a quest to get these ingredients, to get these properties, or even to make the potion itself. Yeah, and the great thing about it being like a fictionalized version of chemistry is you don't need to actually know anything about chemistry. It doesn't need to be a real reaction. It just has to sound good. You don't even have to have actual chemicals involved. If you don't know the names of any chemicals, just make up some chemical names and say that mixing them together does this cool thing. Exactly. They hadn't invented the periodic table, so you can just call it whatever you want. It's the beauty of fantasy, really. Mm. So you can just you can define the limits. Yeah, it's great. You can take all this cool oh stuff. Oh God! Yeah, take all this cool stuff and then just do whatever the hell you want with it. The DM's word is law. Um. So when it comes to actually using like chemistry, uh, the chemistry side of alchemy, um, obviously potions and stuff are probably going to be your most common application, and they're really easy because, like, um, I think Danae mentioned briefly earlier. Uh, they are treated in a lot of fantasy settings as essentially spells in a bottle. Hmm. So potions are great because it gives you a an opportunity to have a very powerful magical effect that is temporary and not replicable. Um, it makes it... It's essentially can be used in the same way as a scroll would be, uh, but without the risk of your... With uh, your nosy wizard writing it down in his book. Exactly. I do love potions of invisibility. They're oh, great fun. So good. So good. I love just like taking a little swig and poof. What a what an ability. Um but yeah, I also no. I love taking a little swig and then poof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the most cute way I've ever heard potions being talked of. You take a little swig, swig and, and then, then poof. poof. Um, I mean, I mean, the beauty of potions is, yeah, they can kind of just do whatever you want. You can fly, you can change a color, you can... Those are the only two things I can think of. But you, you can, can do those two things. You can get resistances, <laughs> uh, you could... No, Tully, you can fly or change color. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's actually pretty much, unfortunately, the extent of the uses of, poly- oh, of potions. right. Yeah, so the DM's word is law, and the DM says you can only do those two things. Well, the DM's word is law, but... My word is the DM's law. So if you're a DM listening, then those are the only two things you can use potions for. Um, and potions are really easy to balance those effects as well because, um, like Tully was talking about a bit earlier, 
you can have whole quests that re- that revolve around um, seeking out specific ingredients. And it's it's that thing that I talked about a little bit in the last episode. It's just a matter of you can make the limits to things just having those things be hard to do. Just, like, make it really annoying to get an ingredient and your party probably isn't going to go to the other side of the planet and spend a spend six months in-game trekking out to find the ingredient for a greater potion of invisibility when they've got other shit to do. Yeah, exactly. And if they really wanted that greater potion of invisibility, then it's going to be bloody worth it when they get it. Yeah, and it and putting in little things like that, having things be very remote and difficult to attain, then makes it so if you'd like it to become a part of the story later on, then you have a whole thing set up as to what challenges the party would overcome to attain it. Yeah. Um, the important thing to remember, though, is that potions take skill and patience to brew. You have to know the recipes, you have to know the methods, and you have to be able to acquire the ingredients. So it's important to keep in mind, as with anything, where did your NPCs, where did your players get these skills from? It's like a potion isn't something you can just chuck a bunch of ingredients together and hope for the best. It's a very... It's very precise. Yeah, it's a very precise and often time-consuming process. It's not something that you would want to mess up and have to repeat if you're, if a potion takes four days to brew. Yeah. Um, one thing I particularly love about the, the brewing of potions is you can add restrictions like what temperature does this have to be brewed at? Yeah. Um, if it needs to be made at exactly 61 degrees, then that's going to be really tough to control. That's going to take a lot of skill and a lot of time. Yeah, because at the end of the day, we are all capable of using chemistry. We just don't, because chemistry is hard. So, like, make sure that you have rules about how potions are brewed. Make sure that you have rules about how, po- how poisons are made and stuff, because these are the things that are going to make your experts your sources of wisdom and and stuff in the world seem impressive and talented and well educated as opposed to just people who are doing the same thing everyone else is yeah um the other thing is if if you, if you really want to make the skill feel especially elusive um uh, especially difficult to attain then you could have it be some mechanical detriment without the right training or without the right knowledge because of course there's not going to be anything that's going to stop a party from trying to use alchemist's tools if they really, really want to use alchemist's tools. So you can just make it be like certain complex effects require temperature or something, like Tully was saying. And Yeah, you need specific stabilizers to get anything more than a lesser potion of something. Yeah, exactly. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is where are you getting alchemical stuff from? Do you have, like, a local apothecary that sells a collection of simple ingredients gathered from the woods nearby? Is it a... Is it available at the general store, or are you going to have to go on a quest to find stuff? Yeah, is it, like, this highly intellectual group that's seeking out new recipes for potions and stuff in some infernal quest that they're on? Um, Really, it's just... Consider where things come from and who it is that's making them Mm. is kind of what I'm getting at. I think one thing that uh, this brings to the fore that I kind of 
I, I play a wizard in our campaign and I've got an arcane focus, which is a crystal. And one thing that I do regret is giving myself an arcane focus. I think it's so much more fun to play with material components and, you know, when you're casting fireball, it is a handful of bat droppings. If you're casting polymorph, it's a cocoon. Being able to find those things and use them as things to build a magical effect is just so fun. Yeah, I mean, even a very, very simple use of chemistry in your world would be just that, just removing focuses from your world and not even having players necessarily need to seek out ingredients, but just have players describe the ingredients as they're casting a spell, have it feel like it's uh, something that they've learned rather than something that the dice has just handed them. Exactly. And it gives it a lot more flavour. If you've got characters that they just say, I cast Fireball, it's this save, it's this much damage, by giving them that that prompt to be talking about what exactly they're doing to cast the spell, you know, what are your verbal somatic material components, um, especially if you're combining this with chemistry, being able to say this is how my components are interacting and it does this effect, just brings so much more life to the world. It also gives you more opportunity to describe things based on the effectiveness of a spell. Maybe a missed spell is because the player dropped some ingredients or got the wrong kind of bat droppings or whatever. It just kind of gives everyone a little bit more opportunity to experience some of the detail of the world, I suppose, in a, in a kind of fun way. Um, the other thing is you should consider how long chemistry has actually been extant as an idea in this world so maybe it's this really well defined and really well categorized science and it's fairly consistent in its results as long as it's performed in a consistent way um however it could be a place that only has very minor potions that had worked out maybe that you can make a potion of healing but only in recent years has anyone discovered that the magical effects of potions could be greater than that and it's a world like launched into this alchemical revolution for lack of a better word yeah you could be right in the middle of the alchemical enlightenment yeah exactly um something as powerful as alchemy even chemical alchemy would completely justify even something along the level of an industrial revolution if you applied it in the right way um a magical industrial revolution yeah. built around the discovery of potions of greater something. Now that would be really interesting. It would be really cool. Uh, the other thing is, um, especially when it comes to things like poisons and stuff, you should make them expensive. Um, those are things where you should really lean into making them difficult to acquire because one of the main things you have to do as a DM is discourage your ridiculous party from just murder hoboing everywhere all the time. Damn it. Just killing everyone, doing whatever they want. And if you give them the opportunity to use poisons in a world where there's not really any forensic science, there's no surveillance, people can use illusion magic, and like doctors are still just giving people fists full of opium to cure their cholera, then it's you're giving your players a lot of power by giving them access to poisons. 
So just make sure that if you're going to even introduce the concept of poisons, that you are prepared for your party to take that and just poison the big bad while they sleep and end the campaign there. Just make sure that you, you're prepared for eventualities like that because your party will try to do it. Mm. I guarantee it. I would try to do it. Yeah, we said it at the open of the episode, at the open of last episode. Yeah. True. Um, and the other thing is, in terms of like using chemistry as, because I think it's pretty obvious what you can use, what you can make with chemistry, but um, you could also use the search for ingredients as an opportunity to get your players to explore more remote areas of the map. Maybe they're seeking out ingredients for a potion that you never even intended for them to complete just to get them to a new region that new plot developments are going to begin in. Yeah, or if they've, or if you've got a party who stick to the cities, it's a good way to start getting them out into nature. Yeah, uh, even yeah, just by having them forage for ingredients on a regular basis. It's the beauty of chemistry in an era like this is pretty much everything that's going to be used is going to be scavenged or foraged for. So it's a really good opportunity to send your players anywhere out in the world that you really want to send them because you can just say, "Oh, that flower you need is there," and they'll go get it. Yeah. Yeah. Like little lambs. Yeah, they're ridiculous. It's just, honestly, we'll just do whatever you say. It's fantastic. Unless it's don't kill everyone you've ever seen, ever. Be decent people for half a second. They won't listen they to won't that. They won't listen to that, no. <laughs> well, that's no fun. <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose with that, that's kind of the end of what I had. Beautiful. We might uh, take a little break here, have a little chat about uh, the creation of potions and see if we can come, in, come up with some potions of our own. Catch you guys on the other side. And welcome back to Dungeon Deep Dive. I have a diet 100% consisting of dead skin cells and we have a quest for you. So the quest we kind of came up with over the break. I never wanted to die. <laughs> I really tried to give a straight face. Every day we stray further from God's light. So the quest we came up with over the break, uh, just a, a quest that kind of revolves around poisons and the like, is as follows. So um, the head of a state, a country, that's currently under siege from maybe multiple foreign powers has been poisoned and is currently dying. Um, it begins with just maybe a few warts over his body, but slowly they start to spread and the party with nothing but a vague account of the suspect taken from some victims has only a few days to find the culprit and discover the nature of the poison and its cure or else this death combined with the war on multiple fronts slowly encroaching into the into the borders of the nation will possibly spell this country's doom yeah dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. it's somewhere in the sound effects but i don't have it loaded <laughs> and it could be spooky and Poisony, but by just having it so detect magic doesn't do anything. And then, oh no, all of a sudden, the party finds out the culprit escaped into some abandoned sewers nearby. (laughs) (laughs) That's not the right music. No, I think that's the right music. Hold on, I'm just going to... Oh, I thought the music... I hope you're better with your fingers than than that, usually. I really thought the music was going to be longer. Oh, fuck yeah, let's go into the sewers, baby! Yeah? That was horrendous. So, Tully, why don't you tell us a little bit about 
maybe maybe well, the party might effects. find no oh, i mean the choice of sound effects was just because it was the most appropriate sound effect to the conversation <laughs> at hand obviously <laughs> but what i would like to hear is maybe what, what do they see when they get down into these bloody sewers tolly when our party makes their way down into the sewers they find in fact that this is not connected to the rest of the sewer system this is been collapsed <gasps> and ooh, ooh, what's this did you just say uwu? Yes. Fucking get out. We're not done though. You're done. So I'm what, done with you. That's fair. So what the characters find uh, is that the tunnel's been collapsed, and what they instead have is a pathway into a cave network uh, full of all sorts of creatures. Uh, if anyone's familiar with the Underdark, it is a fantastic setting for your characters to go into. Uwu, the Underdark. I will mute you. <gasps> Hello? Is there any dwell there? (laughs) (laughs) And they're muted. (laughs) So, what your characters will find down there is all manner of creatures, from bugbears to spiders to communities of drow. Um, Depending on what you populate your world with, the Underdark will hold all sorts of things. But in our specific setting, what you're going to find is the Poisoner. And the Poisoner is going to, perhaps after some coercion, perhaps after a bit of a battle... uh, unveil what exactly they did to the leader, they will tell us that the potion that they used is Gorgon's Wart. So Gorgon's Wart is primarily made from a particular little mushroom because everyone likes a bit of mushrooms. Into That turns people into stone after slowly giving them a greyish mottled skin. All right, so... Basically, you're going to need to find the antidote to that. And we have decided that to obtain that, you will have to treat the venom of any predator that eats any animal that eats that mushroom because the proteins or enzymes within Gorgon's wort need to be broken down into a safe um, concoction before you can treat and use it. So good luck because you're now going to have to find out what eats the mushroom, find out what eats what eats the mushroom somehow milk its venom this could be and a, then treat it. This could be a fantastic chance for your players to exercise that unused nature and animal handling check that they've always uh, been talking about uh, in trying to milk the venom of a giant spider that eats the creatures of that the creatures that dwell in the underdark by these venomous mushrooms. Yeah, and employing traits from specific animals that are clearly the result of extensive evolution would if it's something you wanted to do, really help ground your chemistry in science in a way that your magic probably isn't and honestly doesn't really need to be. Speaking of rules, it's also a great opportunity for Rule 34. Most most opportunities are, I've found. Smilking the venom, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, of course. So catch us on uh, DeviantArt at at Dungeon Deep Dive. (laughs) We're not on DeviantArt. 34. I'm on DeviantArt. That's because you're a Deviant and At you're a work of piss art. Them. <gasps> the first time I've been nice to you on air. That's so beautiful. This is an this is an historic occasion. The first time that you're nice to, nice to them on air, and it's got me over the top saying "At piss them." <laughs> I mean, that sounds like an accurate representation of this podcast, to be honest. Yeah. So once your characters have discovered this antitoxin and taken their vial of spider venom back up to the city. They've got time, maybe just enough, 
maybe not even enough, to distill the antidote before the, po- the poison takes full effect. Love it. It's a fun little quest. Yeah. Um, you could make it as, as always, as small or as large as you'd like. It could be a, a week's long trek into the Underdark. It could take place in the matter of a day. Could set the stage for a massive geopolitical event that changes the shape of your continent and reshapes the goal of your campaign altogether. Which is why you should be careful about giving your players potions like this. Yes. Well, thanks for listening to this week's podcast, guys. Catch us, as always, on our socials, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Dungeon Deep Dive or at Gmail at deepdivetnc at gmail.com. Thanks so much for sticking with us throughout all of our rigmarole, and we will see you later, suckers. TV shows we watch say a lot about ourselves. Like how political dramas allow Kurt to escape from real-world politics. And how Jane's obsessed with identity themes in teen drama. (laughs) It can be tricky to work out why we love the things that we love. And that's why we started the podcast, Made You Look. Bothers me in superhero shows. Right. I don't know why. Each week we pick an episode of one of our favourite TV shows and force the (laughs) other person to watch it. Sometimes we actually manage to convince each other that these shows are great. I really appreciate that it could be super expository without being super expository. And sometimes we, mostly Jane, uh, pulls them to absolute pieces. Hey, you can't just hang a lantern on it and expect me not to notice that that's a dumb plot point to get you from A to B. It's always a pretty fun time. And sometimes we discover new things about ourselves, our friendship, or something about the media we consume. Oh, our friendship. Yeah. (laughs) Come find us. Made You Look is now available on the That's Not Canon podcast network. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.